it is a blessing to be able to to turn to God's word. Um, it's uh, we we've really been enjoying uh, this the winter. Um, I I'm loving the cold weather. is really nice. Um, and my son Luke and I started snowboarding this year. Uh, which has been awesome. It's just been so much fun. We just went um, on Friday, had a blast. It's beautiful up at, uh, at Mount Baker. It's just gorgeous up there. You, every time I get up there, and it's just, I mean, it just is, is awesome in the truest sense of the word. Um, but before this season, neither of us had done any snowboarding, so we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. Um, we got up there, and our, our first uh, time up right after Christmas we took the, the lessons. We did the like, you know, couple hours of, of lessons so we could try to learn some of the basics. Um, we, we got through the lessons, still essentially had no idea what we were doing, um, but got out there and it, there was a problem with the situation that we were in um, because an intrinsic part of being a snowboarder is looking really cool. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, I think it's a requirement. You have to look cool if you're going to snowboard. Uh, you know, the smooth gliding back and forth, carving through the snow. It just, they just look cool. And then, do you guys catch on the Olympics the, the snowboarders on the half pipes? What in the world? These guys do some tricks, and you're like, that is incredible what they can do. Um, now, this, the whole cool vibe posed a problem for us. Um, because we had, had no idea what we were doing. We were terrible getting started up there, and there's nothing less cool than, than catching an edge and just full body slapping in the snow. Um, but not only that, but you know, you've got snowboarding boots. If you've never worn those, they're clunky. Like, how do you, you, know, you look weird walking around? So, so we had to, we, we, you know, we had to figure something out. We didn't want to be responsible for single-handedly hand, making snowboarders look bad. So, so we had to fake look cool, you know? You just got to, we, we had to fake it. We couldn't pull it off doing cool things. And so, you know, you like lean against your snowboard when it's not on your feet. <laughs> and carry, you carry it around cool and like, you know... You gotta, you gotta look cool. You get, you get off of the lift, and um, that was some of our most humbling moments. <laughs> but quickly recover, and then get the snowboard on our feet, and you know, you stand there at the top of the top of the hill, looking down, like, yeah, you know, go. You make plans. You know, you point like you're going to do some awesome things, as if they're really going to happen. Um, we would fake it. You know, we would, we would, we would. Say the cool phrases, you know, like talking about snow, call it, call it powder. Yeah, you see the powder over there? <laughs> Talk about carving. You go, you go to get some pizza, you don't call it pizza, you call it za. Yeah. It's all the cool phrases, right? Um, but the problem is none of these really made us any cooler. <laughs> Um, the reality was we only looked cool in our minds as we put on this facade of pro snowboarder. Uh, we did things that we thought would make us look cool, but probably we just looked silly. Um, we should have just been skiing. <laughs> so many times, though, people will do the same kind of thing in church with discipleship. Uh, put on a facade of discipleship rather than pursuing true discipleship. And so as we continue our theme of discipleship through this year, it's, it's important that we get an accurate understanding of what discipleship is not. Uh, I'm calling that this morning false discipleship. 
It's putting on this, this facade, but uh, it's, in reality, it's just de- dece- deceptive and, and damaging to the church. And so we need to understand what it is not so that we can proceed to build a foundation uh, of what discipleship is. I thought about entitling the message, What It Ain't. But then I'd have to explain ain't, and so decided false discipleship was better. We're going to be in Proverbs 18. You can turn there in your Bibles with me, Proverbs chapter 18, and we're going to be looking just at the first two verses of that proverb this morning. So as you turn there, read that in just a moment, there's actually numerous uh, proverbs that are very helpful. Um, The Proverbs is a a book of wisdom literature pointing people to live wisely for the glory of God in the midst of a a world filled with fools. And these two verses really depict a a fool who is putting on that that facade of false discipleship. And my prayer this morning is that, that anyone in here who is maybe demonstrating uh, any aspect of this false discipleship that you'll feel great conviction to change uh, for your own sake, uh, but also for the benefit of the body of Christ here at EBC. So from Proverbs chapter 18, one and two, we are going to see five warnings against false discipleship. Five warnings against false discipleship. Let's read that passage and then we'll dive in together. Says, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So, the first warning that we see in this passage against false discipleship is to beware of separation. Beware of separation. See it right there in that first phrase he who separates himself. This is a a person who is promoting isolation in their own lives. The the root verb means to divide, to scatter, to separate, to isolate. And it's a a reflexive verb, which means that this person is doing that to themselves. They are separating themselves, dividing themselves from other people, isolating themselves. One Hebrew lexicon says, the one, it says that this is the one who isolates himself, i.e., either the one who is alienated from his friends or the recluse or the one who lives alone, a solitary person, the egoist, the man who holds aloof. So this is a, a person who is deliberately and intentionally separating themselves from close relationships with other people in a community. They appear as though they are in the community and participating and active, but all the while, they're isolating themselves from detection within that community. This is the person who would echo the words of some well-known theologians, Simon and Garfunkel. (laughs) They said, I am a rock. I am an island. I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate, I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pains. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. That's the man of Proverbs 18.1. Goes through life, living in a community of other people, but never really being a part of that community. And in the church, this is a mark of false discipleship. 
This is the person who seems to be involved, but they're isolated. And dare I say, this man or woman described here may very well be in this room this morning. There may be many of you. You have the appearance of participating in community. You're, you're here after all. You go to events at EBC, but when it comes to your spiritual life, you're isolated. You don't let anyone in. No one really knows the, the true you. There's no vulnerability, no humble confession, and therefore, no significant growth in Christ-likeness. You put on a happy facade while you're here, but there's no one you connect with on a personal basis to open up your life and let them see what's going on. There's no one close enough to you to see areas that maybe need change. This isolation is false discipleship. You're called to be in close relationship with one another in the body of Christ for your spiritual benefit and for the benefit of those around you. When you isolate yourself, you're doing harm to yourself and you're doing harm to the body of Christ because you, you can't accomplish the one another's if you aren't in close relationship with other people. I've always loved the, the comparison of the Christian life to, to a campfire. You build a, a campfire, you, you stack up the wood all together, you light it. The more wood you put on, the brighter and, and more vibrant the fire grows, the more heat and light it puts off. The logs all together make a, a fantastic and mesmerizing blaze. But what happens? You take one of those logs and you separate it out by itself and stick it in the dirt. Well, two things happen. One, the fire gets a little less bright, grows a little dim, and that log that you've set aside begins to fade. After some time, the fire fizzles out. It starts to smolder and then glows dim and ends up going completely out. This is the life of a Christian who separates himself. On the other hand, there's many passages that describe the profit of uniting together with others for the mutual benefit. We're, we're called to do that. One passage is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls, and there's not one to lift him up. Further, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him, and a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. You see the benefits there of togetherness. There's benefit in not being a lone ranger Christian. And then you consider the over 50 one another passages in the New Testament, and you recognize you can't accomplish those if you separate yourself from close relationships with other believers. Self-isolation is one of the most certain ways to stifle your growth as a Christian. Showing up to church, but not separating yourself from close relationships with other believers is going to, to bring you growth when you are together with them. So beware of separation. Beware of separation. Second warning from this passage is to beware selfishness. Beware of selfishness, Proverbs 18.1. Again, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. 
He who separates himself seeks his own desire. The rationale in this, past, in this person's mind behind their isolation is purely selfish. His desires here, that can refer to a myriad of things. The word in Hebrew is not necessarily a negative desire. It's, it's a craving, a longing for something. In the context here, it's clear that this is sinful desires that this person is pursuing. They have improper motivation. When it says that he seeks his own desire, it could be translated, he strives after it. He strives after his own desire. What's interesting is in Psalm 27, that same phrase is used to, of, of seeking the face of the Lord. And you see similar phrase in Psalm 105, we're called to seek the Lord continually at the end of the verse there. Something we're to do. And so this same vigor, this same intensity and tenacity with which we are supposed to be seeking the face of the Lord, you see this man here is striving after their own desire instead. They don't get involved in discipleship relationships on purpose because if they did, it would expose the sin that they so eagerly want to pursue. And they'd much rather chase after their own desires than chasing after Christ-likeness. They may act like they want discipleship. They may say that they want discipleship, but in the end, it never actually happens because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want someone to know what's going on in their life. Their object of worship is not the Lord, but it's their own desires, and so they have no need to meet up and talk about their lives. Why would they? They have no need for prayer, no need for the implications of God's word to be explained to them. And since their focus is so specifically on their own desire, they're certainly not helping other people in growing in Christ-likeness. These people are described in, in Jude, Jude 17 through 20 says, but you beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit, but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So you see a contrast here. There's a contrast, the person following their own desires who causes division, they're worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit, that's contrasted here with how believers are actually to be living by building one another up in the faith. The sad reality is that these selfish people exist in the church and they're not going to be building one another up. Instead, they're mockers. They cause divisions with their isolation. So they separate themselves and then they, they drive wedges in between other relationships. They're mockers, they're, they're unkind. Also, can, can, we, can we be honest for a moment? Can we stop blaming unkindness and, and division and isolation and the like on, on personality or people being introverted? Can we do that? So often, people will say that well, that's, that's just that person's personality. That's, yeah, that's just how they are. 
Well, there's, there's no special clause in scripture that I've found that says that certain personality traits or tendencies make it okay to sin. It's just not in there. Unkind also, not a personality trait. It's just not. So let's not justify sin based on personality. And I know inevitably somebody's going to have a problem with me saying that. So to prevent the emails, I'm not saying that it's sin to be introverted. And I'm not saying that it's sin to be quiet or reserved. It's not what I'm saying. I am saying that if you are unkind or dismissive to people or rude or divisive or not using your gifts for the benefit of the body, that's sin. And you can't justify that based on personality. And I'm not gonna just pick on the introverts either. It's very easy to be an extrovert and to be isolated and selfish as well. You can be a very gregarious person, yet isolated spiritually. In fact, I'd say maybe it might be easier for this false form of discipleship to be in your life if you're outgoing. Because on the outside, it might look like everything's fine. But you don't have any close discipleship relationships. On the inside, you're a spiritual island. Nobody knows what's really going on. So if you're selfishly justifying your sin and isolating yourself, you're not only hindering your own personal growth, you're hindering the body of Christ. True discipleship can't take place if you are selfishly looking out for your own desires and pursuing those instead of Christ. And you're also not gonna be discipling others. So heed this warning a false discipleship. Beware of separation and beware of, of selfishness. Third, the third warning in this passage against false discipleship is to beware of senselessness. Beware of senselessness. Proverbs 18.1 continues to describe this person saying he quarrels against all sound wisdom. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. This is a person who fights against right thinking. The word quarrel here means to, to break out. Um, it's only used in two other places in the Old Testament. It's in Proverbs 20, verse 3, where it's also translated quarrel. Um, and then it's, it's seen again in Proverbs 17, 14. Uh, look at the imagery here. Proverbs 17, 14 says, The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. I, I read that, I, I can't help but picture, picture a, a dam holding back the weight of millions of gallons of water and a, a, a little, Psalm 17 pictures this as, as strife being like a, a small crack in that dam. The water's slowly starting to let out. So you better get out of that quarrel before it, it breaks out and you're consumed. It's the same word used here in Proverbs 18 to describe this person's response to wisdom. Could be translated, he breaks out against all sound wisdom. Sound wisdom is marked by truthfulness of God's word. It, that it is wisdom that is in line with truth. It's sound 
Job explains that God is the owner and giver of sound wisdom. He is where we find it. But when God's word is, is brought to bear on the life of this person in Proverbs 18, they fight against it. It's met with a, a tidal wave of unreasonable objection and justification. Bruce Waltke notes this. He says, the fool alienates himself from society by his self-indulgent pursuits and bears his teeth against the sage's proficient thinking. Unfriendliness and unreasonableness are inseparable. It's interesting. Unfriendliness and unreasonableness are inseparable. The natural overflow of the person who is separating themselves from discipleship and seeking their own desires it's just logical. If, if he is content with pursuing his own desires rather than pursuing Christ, then it's, it's, going to, it's, it's going to be the obvious response for him to lash out when someone confronts his behavior. William MacDonald explains, the man who becomes alienated looks for excuses to justify all kinds of irresponsible conduct. He's going to justify it. He's going to talk it away. Uh, uh, I, you, just, you just misunderstand. And it's not just confrontation this person has a problem with. It's, it's, the verse says all sound wisdom. This is the person who is scrutinizing everything anyone says or tries to, to clarify or, or correct or argue some of the most minuscule little things in conversation. And what, what would bring blessing to this person, they're unwilling to hear. If they would, if they would listen this sound wisdom would bring blessing to them, but they're unwilling to hear and, and more so they fight against it. That's false discipleship. It presents itself as righteousness and, and knowledge, but really it's a rejection of wisdom and insight that would benefit them. So the question is, is it possible that you could be that person? One thing you can ask yourself is how do you respond to confrontation. When someone points out your flaws, your sin, and someone comes to you with a, a concern about your life, they bring the, the truth to bear on your life, how do you react in those moments? Is your knee jerk like defensive? It's like, whoa, hey, you're telling me I'm doing something wrong. I don't like that. Or are you willing to humbly listen knowing that it's for your benefit? The separated person, seeking their own selfish desires, they're senselessly rejecting wisdom. And fourth, the fourth warning that we can draw from this passage is to beware of stubbornness. Beware of stubbornness. And you can see how all of these just build on each other. The isolation is for the purpose of pursuing selfishness, which naturally leads to senselessness and rejection of wisdom. And that's going to continue in unrelenting stubbornness. Look at Proverbs 18.2. First line there, a fool does not delight in understanding. We finally identified this person. He's a fool. This person is a fool. And they don't delight in understanding. That, that word delight communicates not just enjoyment of something, but also desire for it and a, a willingness to endure something. 
Here he, he won't endure, he, he, won't, he does not desire, he takes no delight in understanding. That understanding carries with it the idea of, of discernment. Uh, it's used in 1 Kings 3, 9 to describe the ability to distinguish between good and evil. And the fool, described here in this passage, takes no delight in that ability. Don't need discernment, do not need understanding. It is not a priority. Rather than acknowledge the need for others to provide this understanding uh, for, the, the person, for them to see their, their own flaws, they, they reject it. They reject it. They don't want the discernment. They're unwilling to hear it. They don't want to see the sin in their life. We all have those areas in our lives that we can't see, Areas where we, we need others to point out the issues. Um, I went and I got my hair cut by Toby two weeks ago. And it reminded me of, of this situation. I, I have two cowlicks on the back of my head, um, which I imagine make it a nightmare to cut my, my hair. He's shaking his head, yes. Yes, it is. Um, so he's cutting right back here. And he goes, oh, yeah, we're really getting it dialed in back here. Like, all right. I was... I responded, I was like, Toby, as long as you like it and my wife likes it, that's, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter. I, I don't see it. I don't care. I don't see the back of my head. You know, I, I'll, I'll walk out of the house sometimes and I'm like walking out the door and Katie's like, hey, wait, you need, you need to go and fix, fix your hair in the back. Like, I don't even realize I've got like a big like clump of alfalfa hair sticking up in the back. I go and look and like you got to do the two mirror thing and like try to fix it. We all have these blind spots. We all have these areas in our lives that we can't see. We think everything's fine. Look in the mirror. It's like, yeah, it's looking good. It's like walking around like this. We live in total ignorance of our sins oftentimes. They're there clear as day to everyone else that we interact with. But we walk around in ignorance I mean, I thought I was a pretty good guy until I got married. <laughs> and then I realized, like, oh, man, I'm a total loser. Like, I need to get my life together. And then we had all these kids, and they're not shy about telling you when you're doing something wrong. It's like, okay. But we need it. We need it. We need people in our lives to help us discern right from wrong. Because we don't even see those blind spots. We would just continue living in ignorance. Nobody said anything. But a false disciple wants nothing of that. Don't want understanding. Don't want discernment. Don't point out my blind spots. Perfectly content pursuing my own desires. And so I'm gonna isolate myself from you if you're that kind of person that's gonna point out my sin. So examine yourselves to see if you have any amount of this kind of stubbornness within you. Are, you. are you eager for your blind spots to be pointed out? Are you humbly willing to acknowledge that there are areas in your life that need to be changed? There are, every last one of you. Do you delight in this kind of understanding or, or are you like this, this fool who runs from it? We need to flee from 
the flaws of this fool. The last warning against false discipleship is beware of being showy. Beware of being showy. Look again at Proverbs 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Only in revealing his own mind. Not only does this fool fall short by rejecting wisdom and understanding, wants nothing of it, but also he wants to reveal his own mind. He's got it all figured out already, okay? So you just don't have to worry. One comment, as one commentator puts it, this false discipleship is marked by a closed mind and an open mouth. Unwilling to heed instruction or understanding, this fool is always talking about what he wants to talk about. The word revealing here refers to exposing or uncovering something. Uh, this verb is, is only, it's used in, in this way, in this tense, in one other spot. That's in Genesis 9, where Noah drunkenly and shamefully exposes himself. It's the only other place it's used. But here, Proverbs 18, this man is not exposing his nakedness. Rather, he's, he's shamefully exposing his own mind. The Hebrew word translated mind here is actually the word for heart. It's talking about your inner man. He talks and talks and talks all about himself and all of the things that his heart loves. This is the person who, when not speaking, is only thinking about what he's going to say next rather than listening to what's being said. I mean, what, what could he possibly have to gain from listening to anyone else? He's already got it figured out. There's nothing else anyone could say that's more important or better than what he's already thinking. His way is the right way. His thoughts are the best thoughts. His experiences are the superior ones. If anything, those listening would do well to keep their mouths closed and listen to everything that he has to say. At least that's what he's thinking in his heart. One commentator explains, this kind of person is in love with his own ideas and enjoys spewing them out. This kind of person asks questions to show how clever he is not to learn. The irony here <clears throat> is this fool isn't fooling anyone. He's seeking to elevate himself while really just exposing the desires of his heart. It was Jesus who said in Luke 6.45, the man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. So rather than making himself look good, he's merely exposing to everyone who's listening his own self-idolatry. He won't listen and he's always talking. This is the opposite of what Solomon called his readers to in Proverbs 2.2. Just make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Listen up for it. Incline your heart to understanding. Go after understanding. Desire understanding. But instead of being attentive to wisdom, he wants nothing to do with it. Instead of inclining his heart to understanding, he's just trying to show off what his heart truly loves, and that's himself. Now, 
You may look at these five and you might not lean toward the extreme of all five of them. If you do, I'm going to be over here after the service and we can talk. I'll tell you about Jesus. You may struggle with some of these to a lesser degree. You can really... You can really examine yourself, this one in particular, by looking at what happens in your mind when other people are talking. It takes place in your mind while others are speaking, when you're in conversation. Are you thinking about what they're saying, or are you just contemplating your own thoughts and what you're going to say next? When you're in conversation with others, do you find yourself thinking on what are some things that I could say that are going to make me look good? Or do you engage in conversation with the hope of of benefiting and building that other person up? I, I want to listen attentively so I can be a blessing to this person. So again, this may not define you exactly these two verses, but I think all of us to some degree struggle with with some of these. You may not be isolating yourself to pursue your own selfish desires and senselessly and stubbornly refusing the help of others while boasting in your own excellence, but maybe you are. But you're likely maybe a combination of some of these to a greater or lesser degree. We need to to fight against these for the sake of true discipleship in our church. We have to fight against these for our own spiritual health and the health of the body of Christ. So let's take a look at these again really quickly. If these are the marks of false discipleship, then what opposite marks would be true discipleship? If the fool, if the fool and, and false disciples are separated from others, then we as true disciples should be involved with one another, should be involved. We should be involved corporately within the church. We should be involved individually with others for our mutual benefit and growth. We're to be united together. You see this all throughout the New Testament. Philippians 2, 1 and 2 says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. We're to be united together for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel in this church and in this community and for our our hearts to, to grow closer to Christ each day. We're to be united for the purpose of growth, not not separated apart to fizzle out. As part of the body, we are to, to work out all of the one another's in scripture so that we are building one another up. So that, that we're bringing that growth and benefit to one another. We, we need each other. We need each other. So if you tend to withdraw this may be an area where you need to prayerfully pursue greater involvement with other believers. If your, your tendency is, is to, to pull back from close relationships, 
you need to pray that the Lord would, would bring close discipleship relationships into your life and then pursue those and then go and disciple others and point them to Christ. Next, if the fool would be selfish pursuing his own desires, then true disciples should not pursue their own desires, but the desires and benefit of others as well. They need to be selfless. Be selfless. The very next verses in Philippians speak to this. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, what's gonna happen when you're united in the same purpose? Well, you're gonna do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look to your own personal interest, but also to the interests of others. You're gonna be selfless. The false disciple cares nothing for serving, but only about, about being served. He doesn't care about blessing other people, but wants to be blessed. If we are to emulate true discipleship, that means we're gonna have enough care and concern for the, the people in this room that are sitting right around you, that we're gonna pour our lives out for them. You'll serve them, pray for them, bless them, encourage them, teach them, rebuke them. We'll do all that we do in discipleship in order to bring glory to God and growth to the church. Third, if false discipleship is characterized by being senseless and fighting against wisdom, true discipleship is gonna be characterized by being teachable. Be teachable. The senseless man bursts out against wisdom, but true discipleship seeks wisdom, has a teachable attitude. True discipleship is characterized by the, a willingness to hear and heed wisdom, but also seeking and wanting more. Proverbs 9.9 9 explains, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in his learning. Why? Because he's not turning it away. He's not rejecting it, he's eating it up. You, you've got wisdom, you've got understanding. I want that, I need that so that I can live wisely. A true disciple is gonna want to grow in that. Uh, not, not just for the sake of head knowledge either. Not just so that they can know more, but so that they can grow more, so that they can become more and more like Christ. True disciples aren't too proud to learn or be taught by anyone, but are eager and excited to grow in their knowledge. So don't be senseless, be teachable. If you're gonna pursue true discipleship, you also need to be open rather than being stubborn. You need to be open rather than being stubborn. False discipleship is stubborn and resistant to their blind spots being pointed out, but true discipleship is characterized by openness and transparency. It's, a, it's an open life, an open book. You see something wrong in my life? Come and let me know, because you're probably right. True discipleship recognizes the truth of Hebrews 4.13, that there's no creature hidden from God's sight. All are open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees it. If there's nothing hidden from God's sight, then who cares if everyone else around you knows it? Your sin should be so vile to you that it doesn't matter who knows it if it means that you're going to rid it from your life. Beloved, you can't hide it from God, right? He's the only one that matters. So why not lean on your fellow brothers and sisters to come alongside you and help remove that sin from your life? This is what James says in James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. You need to be there for each other. 
True discipleship in the, the church is characterized by an open confession of sin to one another, knowing that we're going to, to pray and help one another through those sins. So do you see this kind of openness in your life? Do you have this kind of openness with other people in your life? Or do you try to conceal sin, hide it from others, try to make it look like you're doing, doing better than you actually are? If you're hiding things, trying to make yourself look better, the sad reality is you're really just hurting yourself. Not only does God already know about your sin, but he's provided the church to help you through that by means of discipleship. So open your life up to others. Expose your life to someone else that can help you. And I'm excited about the discipleship seminar that Patrick announced that's coming up where we're gonna be able to, to look at, at what discipleship looks like and also how, how you can get involved in a relationship like that. If you don't have that, you should. We need each other. So it'll, it'll be an important day you're not gonna wanna miss. Finally, instead of being so prideful and arrogant to think you have everything uh, to say that, that is best, we should be humble in our attitude toward those around us. And this was a character trait that Christ modeled for us. He demonstrated the, the utmost humility. Philippians 2, 5 through 7, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus is literally the greatest. Like, like actually, he's the greatest. We sometimes think we're the greatest. Jesus is actually the greatest. Yet he became the least for our benefit. Not only did he become man, he bore the cross to take the, the punishment that you deserved. He did so to, to forgive us, to make us right with our heavenly father, not so we could bask in, in our own pride about how great we are. We need to humble ourselves. The cross is a radical picture of how absolutely depraved and needy we are, not how great we are. When you're tempted to avoid discipleship because you don't want to be seen as sinful, you don't want to be seen as, as needy, you need to think on the cross. You need to think on discipleship, think on the, the gospel, recognize who you are and realize that you, you are sinful and needy. And that's why you need those relationships. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. God in his goodness and kindness has gifted all of us differently. He's brought us all through life differently from different backgrounds. He's taught us various lessons and truths in different ways so that we are a body of believers from a, a variety of lifestyles and backgrounds, right? This means that any given person in this room it likely knows something that you don't know. You could, you could, you could benefit from every person in this room 
And likewise, you could be a blessing to everyone else in this room. Many of you have learned lessons about fighting sin that someone else in this room needs to know. Many of you have have learned truths from God's word that have upheld you for years, decades, that someone else desperately needs to cling to in their own lives. So don't be so prideful and showy as to think you have it all figured out and that your way is best. You, you need other people. Beloved, it's been a long couple of years, hasn't it? And we've seen our share of difficulty, of divisiveness here at EBC. And in this year of focusing our attention on discipleship, it would do all of us a great benefit to recognize that we desperately need each other's help if we're gonna grow closer to Christ. So let's table our preferences. Let's set aside the, the mediocre things of life that have really little significance. Let's come alongside one another in true discipleship so we can grow closer to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the lessons from this passage. Lord, I do pray that, that each of us would humble ourselves before you. We would recognize our own need, our need for one another. Lord, build within uh, this church tremendous relationships that, that push one another on toward Christ, toward growth. Lord, I pray that if anyone in here is convicted by these warnings, Lord, that you would uh, grant them repentance and Lord, that they would see fruit moving forward. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.